Hey, podcast world. Welcome to another wonderful, exciting, enthralling episode of FNO InsureTech. We are here today in Waco, Texas, the home of Dr. Pepper. <laughs> Not what I was thinking of, Lee. <laughs> I was thinking the home of 470, our Four, employer. 470 claim. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. 470 claim management. But you went right to you went right to Dr. Pepper. That's your immediate association. Well, it it is. It was home in Dr. Pepper before 470 claim. Uh-huh. It's also the home of the Texas Ranger Hall of Fame. But not the baseball Texas Rangers. No, the actual real yeah, law like enforcement. Carry a gun. Are there still Texas Rangers today? I, yes, there are. What are they? They're a law enforcement. They're, they're are big. they different somehow? Yeah, I think that they are the highest uh, at the highest level, right? Uh-huh. They can they can do pretty much whatever they want. To do. <laughs> they can they can run around and do yeah, anything. They, and can, they, they can they can arrest other police. Vigilantes, is that right? They're vigilantes. Yeah. They can kill whoever they want. Well, let's get to who our guest is today. It's Cat Reese, the chief claims officer of Tower Hill Insurance. I'm very excited about talking with her. I. Don't think anybody has told me this, but I think that she's kind of a techie. She's big into technology, and she's she's as we say, very very smart. But she she's also very thoughtful in in what she says, and she's very right. thoughtful in the way that she does business. Right. We're fortunate today to actually have her here in Waco. She's in Waco visiting 470, our employer, and we were in meetings yesterday, and really got to get a good look at the way that she thinks and her her ideas and opinions about the industry. And I would say that she's very smart, very mm-hmm. progressive, and has a lot of great ideas that are based in the real world. They're very logical. Logical. You know, there you go. Uh, we, we'll talk terms and the way that she defines some terms, I completely agree with where our, our industry has, has used terms uh, in a different way. Uh, so I'm excited about talking about that. Um, but she's, she's, and, and as we said, she's not been around the industry for 50 years. Right. Right. She's, she's, I'm not saying newer to the industry, but she is, she's, she's fresh in the industry. She's, well, she's been in it for a while. Yeah. Long enough to be able to have the, a big job, chief big, claims big officer job. at a, at a prominent company, Tower Hill, but also has a lot of fresh ideas that I think are going to have a really big impact at the company. I agree. She, she does come from the independent world. Uh, She's worked through staff jobs with very large company and uh, I'm excited to talk to her today. Why don't we, why don't we hop on in? Well, let's just get right to it since we've (laughs) used up a lot of everybody's time listening to us babble back and forth. Yeah. But that, I think I think people enjoy us talking. Do you think so? Uh, I mean, I do. I would love to have somebody send us an email and say, you know what I think about your yeah. intros? Please stop talking. <laughs> or if you enjoy it, please say, I enjoy it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Maybe. I think they're, they're going to say, please stop talking. Hey, I'm saying if somebody sends us an email, uh-huh. we would put it on the air. We would. We In would. fact, if you want your email to be on the air, just send it to us. You can send it to fnoinsuretech.com. There's a contact us tab that they can use and they can send us and tell us anything they want to. Anything. And we'd love to hear from our audience. Good, bad, or ugly. We'll put it on there. Uh, If you want to be anonymous, we'll do that. But um, send us something. And so let's get to our interview. Okay. What do you think about that? I think it's a great idea, Rob. Okay. So without further ado, here is our interview 
with Kat Reese from Tower Hill. Hey, podcast world. We're here today in Waco, Texas for a very special edition of FNO InsureTech. And you know why it's a special edition? Why is that? Because our guest, Kat Reese, is with us in the same room. In fact, I'm with Lee in the same room. Yeah. And all three of us are in the same room. And this is the first time we've ever had a podcast. And it's wonderful. And it's not a very big room. So we get to talk about two feet from each other, maybe one, one, one foot from it's, each other. It's not a big room. And we're using one microphone. One microphone. Hey, welcome to the podcast, Kat. Ah, it's good to be here. It's nice to have you. We're, yes. we're, everybody should know that we're kind of adjusting to this as we go. So if we feel... Yeah, it is a different scenario today, but that's great. That's great. Yeah. So welcome to Waco, Texas. I think July is the best time to be in Texas. Yeah, super, yeah. super warm. Good choice. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. You like hot, humid weather. Clearly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think yesterday was one of our hottest days yet, so I'm glad you could be here with You're us. You're welcome. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for bringing that from Florida. Yeah. And yeah, the uh, humidity. It's one of those days where um, I wear glasses, and when I get out of the car, from being in the car and I go outside, my glasses fog up. Yeah. And I have to take them off. That that absolutely. I just started wearing glasses myself, and the same thing happens. It's very very annoying. Do you wear glasses, Kat? I had LASIK last year. Actually. Oh, how really? was that? It was wonderful. Yeah. Yes, I'm still surprised I can wake up and see. Yeah, wow. highly recommend it. Yes. I'm always yeah. nervous about things touching my eyeballs, so I never, I don't want to go down that route. I, Were you nervous? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I would have been. I would have preferred to be unconscious, but. Yeah, it went well. So wait, you, you could actually see while it was going on? Yes. They open the eye. They hold it open. Yes. They do. That sounds... Very clockwork orange. That is a but terrible thing. I came out of it being able to wake up and see and go to bed and see, which was Good. the goal. So the, the change was instant. It was. It was the next day. Really? Yep. Uh-huh. Wow. So how long did the surgery take? About 30, 45 minutes. Oh, wow. Yeah. One eye at a time, I guess. Uh, they did, uh, I think, left eye, then right eye in the same session. So. And do you have like wow. one for close and one for distance, or mm-hmm. they're both the same? Yes. Okay. I had heard, I had heard that was a thing, that one eye would be, if it was really bad, like if you were used to bifocals. Right. I didn't know that was like that's what they said to me, because I wear bifocals, that mm-hmm. I would have to have one for close and one for distance, and that's what kind of they don't look like made, me, made me off. Well, I have no line bifocals. I pay extra for that. How fancy. Yeah. Well, You're, I'm from California, man. Well, you can't get a defogger on them. <laughs> I know. You can get no line on a bifocal, but no defogger. You know, uh, baby shampoo will stop it from, from fogging up. Yes, but then you can't see through your glasses because they have baby shampoo all over <laughs> baby them. Shampoo so that's a little bit of a problem. I like yeah. how we're going to swing from baby shampoo on glasses <laughs> to innovation at some point. That's right. At some point, baby shampoo will make its way into innovation. Yeah, it's not coming real quick, is it? <laughs> Okay, well, let's talk for a few minutes about you and about where you work and when what you're up to. So tell us uh, real quickly who you are, what your title is, what your job is, and where, where you work, and so on and so forth. All right, so I'm Kat Reese. I'm the Chief Claims Officer at Tower Hill Insurance. So we're a Florida-based carrier, and uh, we have a specialty group that has started to expand our presence out to other states. Uh, we write commercially in a few other states. And so it's it's a fantastic company. I joined it about 11 months ago. Oh, actually. No. So about to hit my one-year anniversary. Congratulations. Wow. And it's been, uh, it's been a great year. 
-hmm. So I'm loving working there. It's been, it's a fantastic combination because it's a company that's been around since 1972, lots of knowledge of insurance and the industry, um, but also a very innovative mindset and a desire to take the company to new levels um, without some of the technical debt you might see at other companies. So they are uh, Florida only primarily, is that correct? Uh, primarily Florida, but as I said, we've got commercial in other states, and then we have Tower Hill Specialty writing in uh, Southeast and the Midwest. Mm -hmm. What does a chief claims officer do? What is your task? Good question. So I really look at the claims experience and how when something bad happens to a customer, right? That's when they have a claim. That's when they're calling us. And how do we make that process as seamless as possible for them by putting the right people with the right processes and the right technology into that flow okay. so that they're having a, as good a customer experience as possible when they're going through this really tough life event because we're a homeowner's insurance carrier for the most part. Mm-hmm. The house is usually someone's largest asset and something's happened to their house. And so you know, we're stepping in, we're taking care of that and making sure that we've got the right processes around that. So my role is to make sure that bridge exists for the customer okay. and that our employees or they have the tools they need to fulfill that. That's very interesting. Yeah, I think it's I think it's really neat. I always hear the uh, acronyms, you know, chief claims operator, chief innovation officer, different names. I, I wasn't ever really sure if they're all the same across the board for all carriers or different carriers have different descriptions of those jobs. But it sounds like it's everything within the claims world. Is that right? Yeah, the claims world. And then, you know, making sure that uh, as a company, we're aligned, uh, you know, working with my peers to be sure that, you know, what we're doing in claims and the positive things we're doing there, marketing's aware of and they're able to, oh, okay. to take out and, and tell the customer base and our agents. So um, a lot of interaction and building just the team as a whole at Tower Hill. It's kind of I like that. Yeah. So you're... You need to be very focused kind of at the highest level on the customer experience. Is that fair to say? Yes. Uh-huh. Is that your guiding, kind of your guiding light? Yeah, it really is. Because when, um, you know, I, I see it as there, there's almost this wheel, right? Where the customer has an experience, but that experience is is fed into by the employee's experience, the systems we have underlying that experience. And then the feedback loop we get from our customers and agents that tell us how we're doing and how we can do it better. So the customer experience to me underlies all of that. It's it's something that you cannot take out of the process without things starting to fail. So so is Tower Hill a um, independent agency market? Do do, do you sell through independent agents? Yes, we have over 800 independent agents that we sell through in the state of Florida. Wow. Through specialty in other states. So I would think you're working on customer uh, uh, satisfaction, not only through the insurance uh, policy owners, but through the agents, through, I mean, you you have a lot of people you want to try to make happy through this. A lot of customers. A lot of customers. Yeah. And and so I love, um, I went through this class once that taught you about internal and external customers, Mm -hmm. right? So everyone you interact with is probably your customer in some way. It's Mm -hmm. just how you define that. And the great thing about having agents and that layer, you know, because my background uh, prior to this, I was at USAA. Prior to that, I was in the independent adjuster world. And this has been my first direct experience with agents. And they are another piece of a feedback loop. They give us great information. 
and they're another tool to use to communicate with the customer. And so it's, it's been a really good experience getting to know that team. I think for a lot of people in our audience who are on the insure tech side, uh, don't necessarily uh, or might not fully understand agents and the role that agents play. How is it that an agent is involved in uh, in a claim or in the claims process? I would think that it's that the claims process is between the company, the carrier, and and the insured who has a claim. How, why is the agent part of that? So we we like to think that we have a really holistic relationship with the customer, right? And in insurance, no matter what you do, you're in some form or fashion helping people, protecting them, protecting their assets, and making sure they're they're taken care of and prepared for a bad event. What the agent does is they sit down with the customer and they're giving them advice when they've either bought their home or they're looking for a new insurance provider. And as they give them that advice, they're saying, this is the coverage you need. And I feel confident that if anything happens to this asset, that this is the company that's going to be able to help you through that. And so they're making a promise and it's a promise that my team is then fulfilling. Sure. So I I think it's a very symbiotic relationship. And uh, again, agents have a lot to do with the claims. They're also, you know, the face of Tower Hill to that customer. Right. So when you have a claim, you may be talking to someone on the phone, but if your agent's down the street, you may also be going there to ask them about what's going on with your claim. So making sure the agent's informed is important. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, anytime I have a claim or anything, I'm going to talk to my agent, not necessarily the insurance company. It's the face. They're the ones who are right down the street. Hey, they sold me the policy. So they're going to ultimately have to answer to it. So good, bad, or ugly, uh, you have a relationship with them. So I think the agency market's very important. So you're a very young woman. For those of you who are listening to this, you'll just have to trust me on that. (laughs) And uh, you've come a long way in a short time. Let's talk about that for a minute. How, How does somebody get to be a chief claims officer and, and in your case, you've achieved it at a young age. Can you talk about that for a minute? Yeah. So um, it, to me, the if someone asks, how do you do what you do? It, it's about agility. So I started out in the insurance industry on the independent adjuster side. And I think that that really honed in on you have to be agile. You have to be able to adapt to your customer. We talked about having different customers in different scenarios. Mm-hmm. You guys know. Mm-hmm. Um, as an IA, your customers usually the insurance company. Correct. Right. You're dealing with policyholders and you want to make sure that customer is also satisfied. But the insurance company is, you know, who you're sending metrics to, who you're right. talking to. And as an IA, you're working with multiple insurance companies at different levels of technical sophistication. And so when I started in the industry in 2004, we had insurance companies that uh, would only fax first notices to us. Sure. And we had others that would send a CSV that we could import into our system. I don't recall knowing what a fax machine was prior to that. Right? <laughs> yeah. I, I took notes at college on a laptop and you know, my, my family had computers in the house since I was five or six years old and uh, oh, I was yeah. very technically adept. And so having to f- create processes at an IA firm that were both combat- compatible with new technology and new systems that insurers might be using and then backwards compatible to companies that were not at a comfort level with that technology yet um, really taught me to stretch mentally, right? Yeah. And make sure that you can adapt. 
um, then shifting to USAA. I spent seven years there and um, was their catastrophe leader, uh, worked in the auto side, the property side, uh, subrogation, did a little bit of almost everything. So you got to touch a lot of different uh, disciplines inside of the organization. Yes. And so the ability to to pull things out of that, learn, take it to your next role, um, that that has worked well for me. And what a great place to learn. I mean, they they do so much so well. And I think I think you can really get a lot of good life lessons working with them. Oh yeah, USAA is a great organization, and um, I really attribute a lot of my leadership style to what mm-hmm. I learned there. I had mentors there that taught me so much about how to to lead teams, be accountable. Um, know what you're doing, communicate what you're doing. And it was just a, a great place to be. So you're, you're, a, you're a young woman in insurance. That alone kind of makes you um, in the minority. And you're a senior leader, a senior woman leader in insurance. Is, talk about that for a minute. What's, what's that experience like? Well, I never have to wait in line for a bathroom at a conference. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's that. There's a perk. <laughs> there, there are benefits. That's um, very funny. But yeah, you know, I, I it hasn't felt um, special on my end. Okay. You know, as as I've gone through, I have been very fortunate to work with people and companies that recognize talent, that have strong mentoring programs, that want to make sure that you. Know, you are connected at a leadership level. So I, I mean, I could go through and tick off 10 names of people at current and prior companies that I still go to and communicate with and get advice from. And I don't feel like any of them would communicate with me any differently if I were male than, mm-hmm. than being female. I see. So it's, I think partially those environments just did a great job of cultivating mentorship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is, is that the insurance industry is welcoming on, on a diversity level. Yes. I've, I've found it very welcoming and most of the senior leaders I've worked with actively seek diversity on their teams, whether it's diversity of background, diversity of thought, mm-hmm. and it's, it's a priority and it has to be a priority in the industry if we want to continue to attract and develop and retain talent. Yeah. I think that's very true. I mean, diversity is really what helps us lead innovation, getting the different ideas. If everyone has the same idea, it's so hard to grow. So if you can get people from different walks of life, uh, different uh, thought processes, you're really going to succeed as a company and then also as an industry. I think that's a wonderful thing. Let's talk about innovation. Okay. USAA, where you came from, very uh, known for their innovation, known for change that uh, if you don't like the way things are at USAA, just wait a few weeks and they'll change it. it was that your experience there that, that they're not changing for the sake of change, but say changing for the sake of improvement? So I don't know if I would even call it change. I'd say adaptation. Okay. Right. So like you said, change for the sake of change. Change can be kind of a loaded term. Um, but to me, USA was an organization that was constantly adapting to its customers, the marketplace, and uh, trying to provide the best customer experience possible within their framework. So a lot of adaptation, 
um, a lot of managing that and ensuring that both employees and customers were um, on board and know what to expect and are getting what they expect out of the insurance, you know, the claims experience or the insurance experience in general. And so what have you learned about change and or adaptation that you've brought forward in your current role? So I think prioritization is one of my biggest takeaways when I look at how to adapt and how to change. And when you prioritize change and you say we need to do these six things, you have to make sure you have capacity to those to do those six things. And if you don't have capacity, because I think we all could probably in the in the industry generate a list of no fewer than a hundred things each that oh, this would be cool to do. Right. right? right. Yeah. Right. This would right. be neat. Yeah. Oh. Um, but where are you going to make those shifts and those tweaks that have the most impact on the customer experience or give your employees the best tools to do their jobs? And so really critically evaluating what you do, um, what you want to do internally versus through an alliance with another company, for example, um, and prioritization. That's it. I I like that. That's, uh, I think, Mm -hmm. a great perspective. You know, we're at a time now where we would have some people on the podcast and they would say we're at a time of great change. And we're in one little part of the insurance value chain in the claims side of it, but all across insurance, it's a time of great change. Do you agree with that? Yes. Talk about that for a minute. Yeah. So I think that we have customers whose expectations are shifting very quickly. And generally you have your insurance carrier. So you're not comparing your claims experience or your insurance experience to another insurance company. You're comparing it to the service you're getting from um, you know, digital companies like Amazon, um, platform-based companies like Uber or Airbnb, and we live in a culture of a lot of instant gratification right mm-hmm. now. Right. And you know when, I mean, heck, when people are dating, they're they're used to just swiping until they find something they like, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've seen a massive shift in what customers expect, how quickly they expect it. And that applies to us internally as well. You know, you want to, employees mm-hmm. have those same expectations. Mm-hmm. And so I think that when you see a culture shift like that and you combine it with other things that are going on in society, like the rise of the gig economy, um, the recession that hit around 08 that had a lot of millennials graduating into a very poor job market right, right, and are right. still kind of recovering from that, the amount of student debt we have. Um, the things that, that exist out there, right. Mm-hmm. That everyone is going through the political climate, mm-hmm. even is so much more divisive than it was 20 or 30 years ago. Totally. And we have to work within that framework mm-hmm. and we cannot be the part of society that isn't keeping up. Right. Yeah. So, right. And I think everyone is trying to see what comes next. Mm-hmm. You know, if cars are automated, and that's going to be the next thing that happens. What happens to auto insurance? Yeah. Right. If I can get my package delivered to me overnight, why does it take 30 days to settle my insurance claim? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and, you know, we've got, we've got these devices in our pocket that transmit all this data and have all this data about us. And I know on my side, I expect companies to know a lot about me. Yeah. You know? We've 
all heard the story about, you know, Target, knowing a woman was pregnant before she did because, oh, of, yeah. you know, purchase history and things oh, like that. Oh, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Um, they could see what they're, what she's buying. Yeah. She's trending to, yeah. And so if, if there's all this data out there as a consumer and as the people who are generating all this data, yeah. right, we expect people to be using it and tailoring experiences to mm -hmm. us. That's very interesting because, uh, as I mentioned, Kat is a young woman. I'm, I come from a different generation as far as our privacy goes and I'm very uncomfortable, generally speaking, with how much data the world has on me. But you're, you're obviously more comfortable. Like you said, you expect them to have data on you and to use it. Yeah. I've had an Amazon account since 1995. I can go through my purchase history and see my first purchase was a gift for my dad. It was a Rocky and Bullwinkle book. Yeah. Right. And you can go through this evolution of first off, you know, I had two orders in 1995. I don't even want to know how many things I ordered from Amazon last year. Oh, yeah. um, but since then, you know, I graduated high school. I went to college. I uh, worked for the government for a bit. I worked in the insurance industry, married, had two kids, you know, so yeah, I would expect that Amazon knowing everything they know probably already knows that about me. Mm -hmm. Like I shouldn't have to tell them that, you know, I have children. Right. Yeah. They already know. They don't need to send you a survey. No. Right. No. Uh-huh. Very interesting. I want to ask you a question about change. As as our world has changed, we are now in a um, in a time where we have multiple generations in our as our customers. So we have millennials, Gen X, we have all these different, you know, generations who we are told uh, by people that everyone wants to be communicated with in a different way. Uh, some will text, some will not. Some want to file claims online, some don't. How how do you see that? Um, and, and what are you doing to work with all of the generations at one time? So how, you know, through, through the claims process? One of the things that gets to me sometimes is that generational breakdown. Okay. Right? People saying, well, boomers are like this and millennials are like this and <clears throat> poor generation Y, you know, bless their hearts. Um, <laughs> And I, I really prefer to look at customer segmentation in different ways. I think that you have people who are early adopters of technology, who have a high comfort level with it, and then you have people who, who may not have a comfort level with it, you know, or right. may intentionally be avoiding technology because they are a 26-year-old hipster that thinks a flip phone looks way cooler and doesn't want their data communicated about Yeah. And, and feels that privacy is important. Um, so I think that we have to get a lot more sophisticated with customer segmentation than just generations to start. Okay. And then we have to realize that as people are interacting with us, their comfort level may be different. You know, so I may be uh, Gen Y and I may have a car and I grew up because my dad owned a body shop, right? And I know all about cars and I have a car accident and I feel very comfortable with that scenario. And yeah, like, I know what happens after a claim. I know how to get it fixed. I'm good. But you could also have someone with very different pieces of that pie. Yeah. Right? So someone who's very comfortable with technology, not comfortable at all with home ownership or how to fix their own house or what house is made of. Right. right? And they may, in every other part of their life, want to communicate digitally. But on this one, they want 
to talk to somebody who will tell them what's going on and explain the complexity to them. Right. So I think it's tailored not only to the individual, but to the experience that they're going through. Are you moving your organization now in that direction? Like you're saying towards options as opposed to segmenting based on age or demographics? Yeah, I think, I think we want to create very customized experiences okay. to people based on what they want. And sometimes you have to ask, you, know, you have to say, is there filing the first notice? Yeah. We can provide text updates or you can get updates in our customer portal online. Is that your preference uh -huh. or would you prefer calls back? Uh -huh. And let them tell you what they want. So I think listening to the customer is the big piece of this that we need to do. So let's continue our conversation about innovation. Tower Hill's a company been around for a long time. I'm sure they have a lot of ingrained processes that you that you walked into and have inherited. Are you busy innovating there? Are you trying to be at the cutting edge of things? Are you trying to be back later in the in the in the process? How how are you approaching innovation as a as a claims leader? I think that you do have to step back and again, back to prioritization, determine where do you want to innovate in-house? Um, where do you want to work with other companies? And then where do you want to see where the industry goes and sort of be prepared to intake that as a fast follower? So there are some things, uh, you know, we have a drone agreement. We can go out and inspect a house with the drone but because of FAA regulations and some of the, you know, the road bumps that exist in that process, it is not as widespread as it could be. And I think that a lot of what's happening right now is we have all these insure tech companies, we have all these potential partnerships or existing partnerships. Um, it is about being ready for what's going to happen next while adapting to what's happening now. And so that, trying to innovate like in that, that environment. I that's, think that's really good. That sounds hard. <laughs> yeah. So you have to have a foot in both worlds, kind of. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, there's there's the tactical day-to-day. -day. Mm -hmm. We get claims in every day. We mm -hmm. want to get those customers taken care of. Mm -hmm. um, we want to make sure our employees are having a good experience. But if there's a shift in the landscape in two years, um, regulatory perspective, from a technology perspective, you, know, you do not want to be the one that's unable to adapt to that. I, I love your phrase you use, fast follower. What's a fast follower? Um, so it's looking out at the landscape of the industry and or even other industries, seeing where the technology might be going and realizing that as you prioritize, again, you can't do everything. Mm -hmm. So what are you going to look at um, either other companies, the industry as a whole, the insure tech sectors? to do and then integrate into your system, mm -hmm. right? As opposed to do it yourself. Let's talk about InsureTech. All right. Yeah. The, wake up, Lee. I'm here. <laughs> it's in the title of the podcast. So. <laughs> InsureTech. What, yeah. what a shocker. We're talking about InsureTech today. Let's talk about InsureTech and let's run through some of the categories of, uh, of InsureTech ideas and companies that are out there. We'd love to hear your impression and your thoughts on those as a as a chief claims officer. Ready? Ready. Okay. I'm ready too, Ralph. I, I, I've forgotten about you. Lee. That's fine. Okay, you're over there asleep. 
<laughs> dreaming about all this future intratech and change and it's just exciting. Okay, let's talk about chatbots. What's what, what's your thoughts on chatbots? I think like so much else in the intratech sector, chatbots have a place. Okay. Right? With what we're able to do now with machine learning and AI, I think chatbots are a good solution for basic questions and to realize when a customer has a question that may be more complex where they need to be routed to a human being. So I, I think that they're a very useful tool, um, more useful on uh, simpler requests or simpler claims than they are on complex. Mm -hmm. Okay. We've had experiences with using texting in the claims process, which seems to be very useful. What's your thoughts on SMS? So I think that again, for the simpler type transactions um, or for a mass communication, for example, before or after a large storm. Right, yeah. I think texting has a place and I think that good at communicating simple concepts. One of the problems I see with text-based technology, whether it's chatbots or SMS or you know Facebook Messenger, whatever avenue you wanna go through, is that um, digital empathy is not really a thing yet. Hmm. What's that? So it's the ability to adapt to what someone is telling you, adapt your tone back to them um, to make sure that you are expressing that you understand their right. you know, concerns, happiness, frustration, whatever they're feeling in that moment. Um, you know, it's, it's one of the reasons people, a lot of people punctuate all their texts with emojis. Yeah. Right. It's cause <laughs> Give it's, that it's so they know I'm kidding. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know, no, or, good point. Uh, and from a business perspective, you know, we can't pop an emoji behind it to say, no. we feel your pain. Sad face. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's can't have that. That's not going to work. Um, so I think that that EQ, you know, cause we talk a lot about AI and machine learning and automating processes that EQ is the part of that, that we can't replace. I think that's really, really smart with the digital empathy. I think that's something we also have a long way to go. Huh? You got me thinking on that one again. Okay. What about uh, drones? When we say drones, what do you think about drones? I think they have their place. So you can get the exterior photos, damage measurements, um, have to be coupled with something else if there's interior damage. So that can be a challenge. I and mean, then again, the FAA regulations do you know, put up some roadblocks on that. But I think they're a tool okay. and a useful tool. Um, I think imagery as a whole okay. is the most useful thing out of that. So right? that'd be like like plane imagery or satellite imagery? Or... I mean, whether it's satellite, fixed wing, um, UAV imagery where customers take pictures themselves or Okay. You know, someone comes out to take pictures of their home. I think that those images are going to be the foundation for some of the next leaps forward where we're able to do some analytics and, you know, make sure that we know what the damages are and are able to take care of that for the customer. Imagery, I think, is the foundation for that. So drones are a good tool to get imagery, get high quality imagery okay. and um, know what's going on with the customer. And it's good for for pre-event and post-event. Uh, we've talked a little bit about that, how it's, you know, imagery is great to have before the event happens. Uh, and you talk to uh, your exact mates and some abilities or core logics or very risk. And, you know, they, they want to be able to give you both packages. So I think that's very important. Yeah. And I think what you do with the before and after matters too, right? Because if you throw the analytics on there that say, 
this house was fine and now it's not, mm-hmm. then that gives me something actionable as Correct. a claims team. Yeah. You know, we can go out there and say, we need to get these folks taken care of. We know they have damage. We know they have claims. Let's get in touch with them. Yeah, I love that mindset, right? We we want to be able to pay what we owe quick. Uh, so let's use the imagery to say, yes, there is damage. Let's get money out the door. Let's Let's pay what we owe. Let's get things taken care of. Uh, down to AI. Let's talk a little about AI or machine learning. What 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 comes to mind when we say that? Um, for me, it's a lot of the communication strategies. Okay, okay? it's um, being able to analyze what people are saying, what people are asking for, and respond to that. And then I think the the image analytics, the um, backend processing. So using some of that machine learning to say, you know, we got this estimate in. And we can do analytics on the photos to say that this estimate is adequate for the photos that have been taken Mm -hmm. and process that through with less human intervention and then pull out the exception cases for the human intervention. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that the role of AI and machine learning is to get some of those simpler processes out of the workflow, uh, moving more quickly. Automated. Yep. And get people focused on the higher level decision-making and strategic thinking. Mm-hmm. I like that. Some of the commodity work taken care of Yes. Um, in, a, in a computer. Here's one of your favorites, virtual claims. I think that um, the way we've defined virtual claims in the insurance industry is sort of a misnomer at this point. Um, it's more of a remote claims process because usually you still have a human or, or a drone or something out taking a picture and then a human behind a screen writing an estimate or doing an evaluation. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's two things or people in different locations doing different things. Whether that makes it a truly virtual process, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I think that when we get to that truly virtual process, is when we will have that AI doing the analytics of you know photos right. or you know IoT based data right. that's coming out of a house or a car and telling us what's going on with it and then you know generating a conclusion from that. Right. I think you're absolutely right that we're we're confusing the term. Using a drone on a claim does not make it a virtual claim. It's just a different way to take a picture. Yes. Right? Yes. And so calling that a virtual claim is a misnomer. I agree with you. And I think that we're all excited to be able to have virtual claims. And would you agree that virtual claims are coming? Yes, certainly. How far out do you see them? I'm going to, we're going to, we're going to catalog this and come back to you in this length of time and, and, and hold you to it. What do you think? What's your thoughts on what, when do we see virtual claims? From a, Auto perspective, I think in some capacity, they're already here on a go, no go, total loss type situation. Um, On more sophisticated claims, I would say two to three years. Wow. Okay. That's, that's the, that's the quick end. I would say of what we typically hear, wouldn't you? Yeah, I would. I think that's quick, but I think it's doable in some cases, no doubt. Sure. Sure. One more? Can we ask one more? Can we ask one more? Sure. Okay. What is your thought on, and I'll add a little extra, IoT uh, or uh, device-driven claim filings? Do you see a day where 
uh, devices within the home can file a claim. Yes. And I am so looking forward to that day. Okay. Right. Um, because I, I told you, I think insurance is a helping industry. The thing I love most about claims is that we show up when something bad has happened to someone and we help them through it. And if there's a device that lets me show up six hours earlier or that lets us get someone out to shut off the water so that this person does not have to move out of their house and have their floors torn up and go through a a tough life event. Um, If we can prevent that from happening to people, we're we're all in a better place. So I want to see it. I want to see it come quickly. Looking forward to that one. Yeah, you're excited about that one. I am. That one perked up Uh, a little bit. I think it's getting devices into people's house, getting the data, um, you know, from a vehicle perspective, who owns that data? How is it communicating back and forth? That's um, yeah, there's a, there's still a lot of questions around that, but um, I think it's starting to work its way out. One of the things we've heard about lately are self-service claims. Have you heard that for, that term? Yes. What do you think about that? I think that again, we want to adapt the process to what's right for the customer and for the claim. So if it's something the customer's comfortable with, um, and they're able to do, and that, again, we communicate to them in the right way so they understand what that process looks like, I think it's great. Because one of the things we're seeing in the world of InsureTech are, I, I would call them customer-assisted claim handling. Is that a f- fair term for it? Maybe. Like like with claims experience, for example. Yeah. Where the customer gets involved, where the insured gets involved in helping with the data collection. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a trend. I think that, I think you have a couple of different, right? Where the insured could do it all by themselves, where the insured helps out to settle the claim, and then where it's just done by an adjuster. I I see three different worlds. It makes me think of uh, airport, right? I go to check in at um, American Airlines and I I can check in by myself. I can ask the person next to me to help me check in by myself. Or I can go up to the, the desk. To the counter. Yeah. And it's just like like you're saying, American like you Airlines saying. has given me the option. I have to check in. Mm-hmm. They give me a couple of different options, two or three, or maybe I do it on my app before I ever get there and I walk through the gate. Um, but they're they're allowing me to go whatever I feel most comfortable. And I choose different paths depending on what stage I'm, I'm in. If I have my whole family and I'm right. traveling on a long trip, I may go up and make sure all of our bags get taken care of. If it's just me, I'm checking in on my app. And insurance is no different. Let it give everyone the option. Yeah. And I think you have to guide them through the process too, right? Yes. So when you're checking in on, on an airline's app and letting them know, you know, are you carrying explosives or whatever? Yeah. yeah. You check that button and no, no, you need to go see a person. To check right. it. You do yeah. have explosives, please come to see us. So I think there's it. that. And then there's combining that with data we can get from other sources, from you know, IoT, from the customer, you know, from their vehicle or their house that can help give us some insights too because people don't always know what they're looking at right right? and they need to be guided through that process i had you know a claim once a few years ago where the woman calls and she says i've got a little bit of tree damage to my house Mm -hmm. we go out there and there's a tree through the middle of her house right it is completely unlivable but she thinks she's fine because she's still got a kitchen she's lucky right she's sleeping on the Uh sofa and you know so how people interpret things and communicate them to us. If we can support that then with data, yeah. so we know more about what's going on and are able to give them the right process for the situation. I think that's where we hit a sweet spot. That's a great point. Uh, like with a car, it's drivable or it's not drivable. 
ninety percent of that. I mean, if if there's been a if if it's been in an accident, it's fairly easy to judge can, is my car usable or not. Mm-hmm. But homes are different, and so people people view it differently. Yeah, we were in a meeting yesterday because that's why you're here in Waco. Yes, and we were in a meeting yesterday, and. It got, it got brought up during the meeting that this is all about data, 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 data. And you shook your head and you were in, in large agreement there. Talk about that for a minute. Talk about data yeah, and how and the role that plays. I, I think that data gives us the ability to um, draw conclusions, to combine facts that we previously had to go look for. Okay. And to uh, make, draw better conclusions from that make better decisions and have better processes. So 2004 hurricanes, we knew from the IA perspective where I was, we knew these zip codes got hit badly. We wanted to get our more sophisticated adjusters out there to them. And um, we wanted to move those claims quickly. Hurricane Michael, we were able to overlay weather data with PIF and use aerial imagery and analytics of that aerial imagery to say, we know these homes got hit badly and you know, 15 days sooner than we might've been a 2004 hurricane, make some decisions, contact those customers and get them started through that process. So I really think that it's speeding things up. It's letting us make better decisions. And then it's letting us combine facts in ways we may not have been able to before. You know, so how can I see you know, if, this customer um, with this background or these apps installed on their phone or um, this family type wants this kind of experience and how can I tailor that experience to them without having to ask them what they want. Interesting. I like that using data to get out there quicker to help people, right? Using the data to say, I know the storm hit, right? You're in Florida. You're going to get a hurricane. It's just a fact of life. Don't jinx me like that. I'm sorry. (laughs) If history tells us anything, it's going to happen one day. Give me a few years. Um, And so, but to say it hit, we know it hit. Let's use the arrow imagery. Let's use the weather data. uh, And let's get, let's get it out there quick. Let's set up a base. Let's do whatever we need to based on the data. I like, I like how you're using that, that one. First of all, we really appreciate that you've been with us today and sharing your insights and your thoughts. And as we bring this to a close, we like to ask people about the future and what they see without getting into the specific secret sauce of what you're doing and what you're up to. You mentioned yesterday in our meeting that you don't think so much in terms of timelines, you think in terms of horizons. What, what, are, what are on your horizons for the future? Yeah, so you know, I, I say horizons instead of timelines because there's so many factors that can speed up or kill a timeline, right? Yeah. And um, if, if you say, I've got this horizon that's dependent on this horizon and, and then I want this to happen, that just flows better for me. Um, you know, what I really see is, again, more and more customization to the customer. You know, obviously my specialty is the claim side. But I think from a product perspective, people have all sorts of risk in their life and risk that they may not realize. You know, we have a lot of previously 100% private assets that are now being used on Airbnb or you're driving your car on Uber. And that can create gaps for people that they don't realize. And I think that kind of uh, consumer behavior and and that kind of trend is only going to continue. 
mm -hmm. right? Where we have more and more risk in our lives and we have these products that have been very asset-based. You know, I insure my car or I insure my house. Um, and I think that we will get to insurance products at some point in the future that are more lifestyle-based mm -hmm. or individual-based and really customized to the person. Um, or that may be more of a parametric style product where right. you're looking at, did this event happen? Yes, no. Okay. And I see it going there. And then from the claim side, I see the customization continuing, right? So if we know that this is this person's lifestyle and this is how we're protecting them on the front end, this is how we need to take care of them on the back end. I love that. Love. I love it. Love. <laughs> I love it. That's a great place to stop. We thank you so much for being here today, for coming all the way to Waco, Texas, for the only reason to do this podcast. Isn't that right, Lee? That is what I heard. Uh, <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Tell the truth. Good okay. chat with you guys. Okay, thanks. That was a really interesting episode. Here's one for you, Lee. Okay. Digital empathy. Yeah, that was the first time I've heard digital empathy. Me too. What do you think of that? Well, now I just keep picturing my bank or insurance company sending me messages with happy faces <laughs> after each one to try to make me feel a certain way. But that was a... Hey, your balance is zero. <laughs> zero sad face. Sad face. <laughs> sad face, dollar sign, dollar sign. Yeah, I think that's really, really important whenever we're talking about uh, virtual and chatbots and text messaging is how do we give the, the human spirit of empathy into the digital uh, transformation of claims or communication. I've, I've not thought about that. I yeah. think that that might be a new question that we ask. I'd like to hear back from some of our uh, previous guests who are involved in texting and chat about what uh, uh, their thoughts on that and how they deal with it, because it, it's real. It is, it's very real. You, I mean, if I file a claim and they say, thanks, it's been accepted, you know, you're, you're still kind of left, right? Mm -hmm. I need, right. I need more. Give me the feeling part. And uh -huh. sometimes I don't think that we can get that quite yet, uh -huh. um, but maybe we could do a, another podcast on digital empathy. Well, you know, I think that we've all used the uh, chat bots in different uh, websites, maybe right. e-commerce websites. Right. And I know how I can always get out of talking to a computer and get moved over to talk to a person yeah. by, you know, use a bunch of expletives. <laughs> right. And, I, I was and, thinking just customer service, please. Right. Or, you know, I hate this company <laughs> yeah. or, or things like that, that push it out. That must, you know, get recognized as something yeah. that needs human interaction. We think of it differently. I don't, I don't go quite that route, but <laughs> can I please talk to a human? That also works. But if you want to cuss at them, that, that's a way to do it. Well, that also works. What about when she talked about generations mm -hmm. and not looking at segmentation? Yeah. Uh-huh. Segmenting people. She really brought up a good point that people not based on their age, but, but looking at people based on their, their preferences. Mm -hmm. uh, you're a big texter. Mm -hmm. You, in fact, you use text on your computer. You can text. You're you're right. very digital. Mm -hmm. uh, you might want to file a claim online where I might not. And just mm -hmm. because we're not the same generation, we can't be judged based on our generation. Well, and perfect example, you said that you, you recently had a claim on your house, as we know. Right. And you filed it by calling your insurance agent. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's you just can't decide how someone's going to do it mm -hmm. until 
it gets done. I so mean, meet them where they're at, right? So the strategy is then options. Options. I options. go back. I go back to the, you know, I fly American a lot. I'm in Waco, so I'm out of. That's all that we have here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not a massive city by any means, but mm-hmm. American does fly here, and so they give me options. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like that. I like that the insurance claims world is looking at the same. Let's mm-hmm. give them options. Let's give them options to file. Let's give them options to uh, to speak with us. Uh, and we've had a lot of guests here recently that work around options, chatbots, text messaging, uh, just different things, right? Give people options. I thought it was interesting what she had to say about how quickly virtual claims are coming. That was quicker than said, I thought she would say. Absolutely. Two to three years is certainly quicker than I would say they're coming. I also agree with her on her definition of virtual. Agreed, yes. Uh, we do hear the word virtual thrown around a lot, mm-hmm. meaning um, they, it's being said, oh, it's a virtual claim. We sent a human out there. They took a manual photo. They uploaded it manually, and it came back to us. Well, that's not a definition of a virtual claim. That's just a different type of inspection. She's referring to actual virtual using data and machine learning. Maybe, uh, maybe someone still goes out there they swipe a picture of the room and it says, oh, based on this photo, you have X damage and this is what it will cost to repair. That's virtual. Right, right. I and thought I thought she was on the right track with that. I, I've thought about that in our own work at 470. We we use the term virtual claim inspector. Right. We use the, the term uh, virtual claims all the time. And with our customers who are involved with yeah. doing virtual claims, sometimes they're not really that much. They're technology enabled. I think that's a great way to put it. Technology Mm -hmm. enabled, uh, you know, speed enabled perhaps, but virtual brings a whole nother aspect to it. And I think that's something that we have to think about. But two years ago, when the word virtual was new and people were trying to figure it out, it, it had a meaning. Today, it has a whole different meaning. And I think that now that we know what the world of technology can do, a virtual claim will become much more virtual than it is today. I also like what she said about being a fast follower. Yeah. You, in everything you do, you're going to have people uh, who want to jump out and be first. Right. You have the people that when a new iPhone comes out, yeah. they're in line. They're in line ready the to The day go. before. You also have those people who say, well, let it go for a week. I'll hear... And then I'll, I'll follow fast, right? Uh-huh. I'll, I'll be a fast follower. Then you have the people who say, absolutely not. I'm going to go get my flip phone. I want nothing to do with it. And then you have uh-huh. the rare few who live under the rock and say, what's well, an iPhone? But really, when it comes to, to insure tech, we have conversations all the time with people who are like, oh, I'm already doing it. Or I'm thinking about it. Or I've never heard of that. Can you mm-hmm. tell us more about it? We still get that today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. After uh, the podcast was over today, she and I were talking about innovation and how exciting innovation is to her. And I think that that's one of the things that, that you and I are hearing more and more on the podcast and being able to talk about with more people more and more is that innovation is becoming a, an an area of practice inside of insurance that it's not just one person who has a title running around, trying to be innovative, but rather that innovation is a practice yeah. that has a, a set of rules and uh, uh, process involved with it. Right. You know, Rob, me and you talk a lot about the lessons that, that, that we've learned from the podcast. 
and even in, in today, as I learned some things, I learned uh, about, you know, prioritizing. I learned about looking at generations differently. I learned about uh, horizons, you know, using horizons, the word horizon right. versus using time frames. And it makes me think about what our guests are learning. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had 30, 35 episodes. I don't know what the number is, um, but we've had a lot of episode episodes. I'm curious that if any of our guests would be willing to write us and let us know what they've learned. If they've learned anything, I think that would be interesting. And maybe we could bring up some subjects on a uh, on an upcoming podcast. That'd be great. Why don't we do that? I think we should. Rob, where, if they wanted to write us, where could they write us at or find us? They can find us at fnoinsuretech.com, which is our website. And there's a couple different ways and contact us uh, tab on there that they can use to. And that email comes directly to our team that produces this podcast, including this very episode. Well, that's wonderful. I would love it. I think if our guests would uh, be willing to write us, we will we'll, we'll quote you if you want us to. We'll keep it anonymous, but we'd like to learn some lessons uh, or like to talk about some lessons learned from the podcast. Well, we'll look forward to hearing that. And we thank you all for being with us today and remind you that the best way that you can support us is by listening to our podcast and subscribing on your favorite Uh, podcast player, whichever that may be. You can find most of them on our website, which again is fnoinsuretech.com. And thanks for being with us. And as we like to say when we're done, bye everybody.